All right, Christ Community Church, if you would turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9, we will be in verses 7 through 12 this morning. Let me give you the key truth that I want us to walk away with. Uh, is this, our humble response to God's correction with repentance and obedience evidences the presence of wisdom in our lives. Let me say that again. Our humble response to God's correction with repentance and obedience evidences the presence of wisdom in our lives. If you would hear the reading of the word of the Lord, this is Proverbs chapter 9, 7 through 12. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we step into this text, we need to remember that this is the summative chapter for the introduction. And so the teacher is making sure that the student has some key pieces, some key truths to walk away with to make a wise set of decisions as he goes about his everyday life. Uh, it, it, the, the teacher is really emphasizing what will most open the student up to wisdom. And so this portion of the text is absolutely critical for us. Uh, to gain what we can from Proverbs, to be able to learn wisdom in an ongoing fashion. So we want to pay close attention to the words. But before we get into it, I, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever tried to help someone who didn't think they needed help? If you're a parent, you, you have done this on many occasions. Oftentimes our children tell us, I don't need your help, mommy. I don't need your help, daddy. And they go about making a giant mess of the circumstance. Uh, that's slightly different than someone who's older and ought be wiser. There's a number of occasions in which, in serving at the rescue mission, there would be people for whom we could have helped significantly in a number of ways, and yet they chose to go their own way. Uh, in fact, I remember one particular instance, a young lady who we uh, were able to get into a, a, a program that could have transformed her life. There's another young lady, we got into it and it totally changed her future, uh, changed everything. This young lady, the one thing that she would have had to have done in order to get in the program is admit she had a problem. And I remember standing there uh, as we had worked so hard to get to this place to be able to help her in a significant way. And she said, I don't have a problem. It's you all that have a problem with how I live. And she was unable to get into the program, and the story does not end well for her. And the impact that, that it had on all of us was it was def it just we felt defeated and deflated uh, and confused. Why? Why would someone reject uh, an opportunity for potentially life more abundant, a chance to, to see their lives change? But so often, we don't have a knowledge problem. We have a desire problem. We have a heart issue. We want to be our own gods. And so if you've ever tried to help somebody that didn't want help, you know how frustrating uh, and how, how demeaning it can be to, to, to try to help them when they don't want to be helped. And so what we see here in this text is a warning a warning for us to recognize when someone has matured into uh, their unwillingness to, to receive wisdom, it is oftentimes better for us 
to, to walk away and, and let, let the circumstances, let God's sovereignty do its work in hopefully breaking off the hard edges and redeeming them before the day of judgment. And so as we step into this text, we want to recognize that this isn't, the teacher's not contradicting himself. Do remember earlier uh, in, in Proverbs, Lady Wisdom does cry out to the simple and the foolish. Now, the scoffer is, is a bit more mature in their unwillingness to listen. They're not just uh, a first-timer. They have decided this is their identity. So this is a, a different circumstance than what we saw with Lady Wisdom, who was trying to woo those who were starting down the path of, of Lady Folly. And so uh, notice what it says. It says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Again, as we go through the book of Proverbs and look at some other things uh, starting in January topically, we're going to see that, again, this can sound contradictory, but what, what's happening here, we have to remember the flow of this. This is someone who's matured into their position. This is their identity. They do not fear the Lord. And being a scoffer, they essentially uh, say that, that there is no God. And if there were, why does he let me get away with the things he lets me get away with? Uh, what do I need with wisdom when I have the, the ability to get what I want by my own hand? Um, and so the, the scoffer scoffs at the, at the notion that they would need anybody else. They scoff at the notion that they would need wisdom from outside of themselves. They, they, they reject the idea that others can be of some help to them. And so for us, uh, much in the same way where Christ warns, if you cast your pearls before swine, they will turn and rend you. It's a text that's difficult to wrestle with because what do we do with that when we're dealing with, when we're supposed to evangelize a sinful world, what, what exactly is being talked about here? But this is uh, something that's discovered in relationship. There often comes a time when, when we do have to walk away, when we do have to, to, to no longer uh, try to give someone wisdom when they... S they have made it very clear they don't want it and they don't care anything about God or the people of God or the things of God or the word of God. And so as difficult as that is for us to do, it sometimes is the best thing that we can do. Um, and so that shouldn't be taken up casually. That should be done in the power of the Holy Spirit and with wise counsel sought. And only through tears should we walk away. Uh, I think of Christ and the rich young ruler. When he asks, the rich young ruler asks Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And, and Jesus lays some things out before him. And the rich young ruler says, I've done all that. And then Jesus hits him with the thing that, that shows what he most desired and loved. He said, well, then sell all that you have to the poor and come and follow me. Not knowing that who he was going to follow is the king of the universe. And he would be, have access to riches far more abundant than anything he's ever known. A lavishness of grace, a treasury of heavenly blessing. And the rich young ruler rejects the offer and walks away. Christ, it says, sorrowed. He was grieved, but he lets him go. And so this is a, a difficult lesson for us, the people of God. Sometimes we have, we have to let someone go and, and, and be turned over, essentially. S similar to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, to be turned over so that they might be saved. Be turned so completely over to their desires and their foolishness and their lack of wisdom that that may be the thing that shakes them free from their blindness and their deafness and draws them, serves to help draw them back to the Lord. And it's good that that's a hard thing for us to do. We shouldn't be quick to do that with just anybody who doesn't listen to us once or twice. 
but it is it is something that we often have to do. It's difficult when <clears throat> we have to do it as a <clears throat> excuse me as a church in the form of church discipline. It's one of the hardest things. It's one of the reasons why we, the session, often seek to be very slow and patient and, and kind and, and not quick to, to cut someone off unless it's absolutely necessary. And so <clears throat> this, is a, this is a tough lesson for us from a discipleship perspective, but one we must learn. Teacher goes on, he says, Do not reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, he will love you. Again, notice that relational language. If someone is walking in God's wisdom, if they fear the Lord, if their desire is to grow in righteousness, justice, and equity, then they want to hear from others who are more wise than them. They want to hear from others who can help them to grow. And that occurs in relationship. You don't just love someone on a one-off. You love someone in relationship. And so one of the things that evidences whether or not we are walking in God's wisdom and we fear God is, are we in relationship with other Christians, others who fear the Lord and have wisdom? And are we seeking, are we receiving wisdom from their hand? Correction, reproof, um, admonition, encouragement, edification, all those are actually good things. They should be good for us. It should be the things that we desire uh, in and through those relationships. And so we, we want to ask, do I have anybody, anybody who is speaking into my life, has the, the freedom to, to speak into my life uh, in terms of reproof, correction, and these other things? If you don't, uh, you, you should seek it. That's part of wisdom is putting yourself in a position because we have to, for the first confession is we cannot see for ourselves. Think of how distorted our views of ourselves are. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have put a shirt on that I was pretty, pretty convinced fit well, uh, only to have Susan, who loves me dearly, say, you can't go out in public in that. That doesn't fit anymore. Uh, or, or a pair of pants or a pair of shorts. We've all done it in some, that's a minor way. Those are comedic. But there's even deeper ways in which we, we refuse and reject wisdom. There's deeper ways in which we ought to pursue and seek wise counsel and be willing to sit and listen, be attentive and receive in relationship. He goes on, he says, give instructions to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. This should be our desire. We, we recognize that there's no, there's no plateau that we're going to reach in terms of knowledge or theology or doctrine. This is that we can continue to grow in the application of things. Think of uh, just the statement, love your neighbor. Well, tell me where you would exhaust that. Tell me if you haven't experienced the, the ways in which that is nuanced and ever-changing and with different neighbors, it looks different ways. It looks different in your own home. Sometimes it looks different from kid to kid as to what best serves and communicates love to each of your children. It's true in families. It's true all across. Love God. Think of how uh, just phenomenal and big that is. I love the way Paul puts it. The love of God has no boundaries whatsoever. It is so large it takes an eternity to just appreciate and stand in the presence of and enjoy. And so if that's true, then we are in the position, we have the, the great joy of being able to learn more and more and more about the depths of God's love through the various seasons of our lives, about the depths of opportunity to love our neighbors through the various seasons of their lives. 
That's how we gather together for worship every single Sunday. And it sounds like maybe we're telling a similar same story, but that's how good the story is. It's how big the, the gospel story is. It's how deep the Father's love for us. And we should, in humility, be the kind of people who, are, who recognize, I can always be learned. We should be curious, uh, not in the, the sense of uh, without intentionality. Our intentionality should be, we should be curious to grow in the love of God, curious to grow in the application of that love for our neighbors, curious to grow in understanding how we are loved by God as beloved. And so this is a, a key feature as well. And so, uh, so far, the, the teacher is laying down some things for the student to be able to, to keep a watch on his own heart if he is unwilling to receive uh, correction from someone else. That is, that is a, a, a sign that something is wrong. If he is unwilling and doesn't think he needs to learn anything else and can't, doesn't think he can continue to grow, that too is evidence that something is wrong in the student's heart. And that should, we should cry out to the Lord with that. We should first confess and then bear fruits in repentance and cry out to the Lord and seek the Spirit to grow in these things and maybe reach out to some other folks to help us. Then he says, he returns to this and brings the whole introduction back together. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Notice that true wisdom is is understanding the the, the person and character of God, how he works in the world, learning from creation, learning from redemption, learning from his word, learning from his people. Uh, And so these are the ways in which we grow in our awe and our worship. And and the teacher is, again, bringing this all back to the firm foundation and reminding the student of the great gift that is received from this. He says, for by your days, uh, for by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself, which means in essence, there's a a good um, selfishness. As odd as that sounds, I know I've said it before, uh, but a good selfishness would be to want to grow in the knowledge of God because that's what's going to make you most human. That's what's going to bring you the greatest joy is His salvation of your life in Christ, to be in union with Christ. We should long to, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, be led and guided by Him and, and how the Spirit works in and through other people to correct to grow us, to teach us, to edify us, to encourage us. And so there's a sense in which this is, he's saying, the teacher's saying, this is actually what is good for you. If you want to be selfish, truly selfish, then long for the things of God. Have fear of the Lord, be in awe of what he does. But if you scoff, you alone will bear it, which is uh, some of the most fearsome words in, in all of redemptive history to hear is essentially saying in judgment, you will stand in in the decisions that you've made, in your scoffing, with no protection whatsoever. And as we know from Hebrews, God is a consuming fire. He is holy. And that is a painful thing to stand uh, in our own ragged, tattered decisions and, and foolish statements and scoffing and wickedness. To stand alone in that with no protection whatsoever, we need to recognize that that is a fearsome and horrible, horrible thing. But instead, what's being offered in shadow and Proverbs, clear in the New Testament, is that we would be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 
Love the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, it's not that we're being further unclothed. No, we're being further clothed in, in beautiful garments, beautiful raiments, such that death is swallowed up by life, so that we can stand as, as witness and testimony to the beauty of the bride of Christ uh, and the goodness of God in and through the, the finished person and work of Christ. And so the teacher is bringing all these things together and giving the student some final things to hold on to. And one of the key things that we want to recognize is pride. Pride is not something that the Lord tolerates. And yet we do. We, are, are, we let it go for too long. We, we emphasize lots of other sins because they probably bother and rankle us more than pride does. And yet for the Lord, the most noxious thing of all is pride because it's at the root of all these things. It takes arrogance to say, I can declare, regardless of how the Lord has made me, I get to declare who and what I am instead of recognizing who's and who I am as cre creature and he, the creator, uh, who, who has written his law in our hearts, given us his word, given us uh, a savior, given us the Holy Spirit, given us community, and given us a hope for the future. And so it is, it is just an arrogant, arrogant thing to say, I'm never wrong. It's an arrogant thing to say to someone who has called you out or maybe has confronted you with something you've said to put it on them and say, well, no, the problem is that you don't understand. Again, you might as well say it the way it ought to be said. You don't understand the grandiosity of my intellect. So let me dumb it down for you. If we were to do that, actually, and, and we could hear that come out of our mouths, it would probably rattle us in the way that it ought. And so if you are constantly feeling like nobody understands you, there's a common denominator oftentimes. And all I'm saying is in humility, just ask the question, is it me? Is there something I'm doing that's, that's either arrogant or prideful or unwilling to learn, unwilling to hear, unwilling to receive? Uh, this, this should be something that would trouble us deeply. And only you can take stock of you. Um, and so, so you need to ask the Lord. You need to seek in the power of the Holy Spirit to, to, to be shown the places where you're arrogant and prideful and unwilling to receive wisdom because God in His sovereignty uses His people, uses His Word, uses creation, uses a number of things to speak to us. And do you have the attentive ears and the, and the trained eyes to see where His wisdom is being offered to you? Do you have the courage to ask the question, where am I refusing the good from your hand, Lord? Where am I refusing to, to receive correction and reproof? Many of you admitted when this was brought up earlier in the series, you, you, you don't like to be corrected. That is a good confession, but it can't stay there. You must bear fruits in, in keeping with repentance. And so I'm, I'm, I'm my prayer for myself and for us as a church is that we would grow in such humility that that would be uh, a, a way in which we interact with each other and so that when others visit what they see as a church that deeply loves each other, that's humble, that's willing to listen, that's willing to glean, that is willing to gain from the wisdom that God has wherever, from wherever it may come. Listen to what Kenneth Aitken says about this passage. This is a, a great quote and, and, and uh, worthy of meditation. He says, the scoffer, as we have seen, is the unteachable man at his most mature. 
That was a critical distinction. This isn't someone who's just casual. This isn't the early simpleton. This is someone who is hardened into their position. He goes on, he is also full of himself and so contemptuous of others that his case is practically hopeless. The root of his trouble is pride. To reprove him will do him no good and may do you some harm. He is best left to, alone to learn the hard way. By contrast, the wise man is the teachable man at his most mature. For it is the mark of maturity and wisdom to know there is always room for progress and improvement and to have the humility to be stung by rebuke and thank the rebuker. Verse 12 adds the sobering thought that how we accept reproof is a test of character and tells whether we are beating a path to Lady Wisdom's or Dame Folly's door. The humility that learns wisdom or the pride that puts us above it decides what kind of people we are and will make us or break us. This is of, of all the things that we've addressed <clears throat> so far in this sermon series on Proverbs, absolutely critical for whether or not we will grow in wisdom as a church. If we don't grow in humility, <clears throat> if we can't be a, the kind of people who can listen and receive and are willing to be corrected and even seek it out from each other, um, we will not grow. And our, our character will, will be immature in wisdom and unfortunately, mature in sin. And so here's the question I have for us. And I would really like for you to take time to think this through for yourself. Again, I don't want you worried about anybody else that you know who may could use this. This is, I'm just talking to you the end, as, as, as individuals for this question. Start with yourself and then take it from there. Now, somebody asks you, hey, how am I doing with this? Then tell them. But first and foremost, deal with your own heart. How do you respond to, to correction and reproof? And if you've got nobody in your life that ever corrects you or reproves you, either you got the wrong people around you in some sense, or you have so scared them that they're, they're cause you, you're not right all the time. I'm not right all the time. In fact, I am, I'm wrong enough that God is gracious in, in helping to keep me humble about all the different things I'm wrong about and the people around me who love me enough to speak into that. If you are never being corrected, then are you learning? If you are never being challenged, are you grow how can you grow without that? And so the, you, you really want to begin here and say, is it my heart? Is it, is it those whom I'm asking? Is it something I've done to those who are around me such that they fear? that everything's going to be a fight? Am I quick to listen as the scripture calls me to be? Or am I quick to make sure that they know they have got, got it wrong about me? Are you defensive is another way of putting it. Because if you are, then, then that's, that's an area where the spirit needs to do some work in your heart. It's a place where you can grow. And it's actually a wonderful place to be able to grow in that and see what it does to the relationships around you. And then the next question is, what most affects your willingness to receive correction or reproof? Is it that you don't trust the people around you? Is it that you, you don't think they can speak into this? Let me remind you of David's example. When God sends an enemy of David, Shemamiah, to throw stones at David and yell curses, 
David refuses to, to, to have one of his mighty men kill him. In fact, one of them said, let me cut that dead dog's head off. And David says, no, he's been sent by the Lord. And so, so if David in wisdom was willing to receive from an enemy, someone who went around mocking and calling out his kingship, which by the way, what Shemaiah was calling him out about was true. It was what he had done to Uriah. And there was a sense in which David need not forget what he had done. Um, so that he wouldn't, wouldn't make that mistake again. And so we too have to be careful that we don't decide straight away, this person has nothing to offer me, and instead ask the Lord, did you send this person? Did you send this message? Are you saying something to me, Lord, that I can grow from and glean from? And so maybe that's what affects you. Maybe it's, maybe it's that you, you just can't, you can't bear the thought of being wrong. Maybe you can't bear the thought of, of thinking other people don't recognize how much effort and energy you put into what you do. I know that myself. I, I, that is a, one of the barriers for me. Is if, if someone comes in and corrects or approves, it's like, hold, hold on a second. Do you know how much I've put into this? You know how much thought I've put into this? Why does that, why would that matter as far as someone having an insight or someone being able to see it uh, that isn't all caught up in the trees like I am. So these are some things you, you want to ask in the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to grow in humility, because if we're not willing to grow in wisdom, then we're not growing as disciples, and there's no way for us to grow as a church. There's no way for us to glorify the Lord in the world. And so Proverbs 9, 7 through 12 teaches us that our humble response to God's correction and repentance and obedience evidences the presence of wisdom in our lives. Church, may we be a collection of those who have been humbled by God's love for us, who are being humbled uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit and the ongoing work of uh, transformation into the image of Christ as people who are righteous, just, and equitable. And, and may we uh, be even more humble in the hope that we have at the return of Christ to make all things new. May what the world see of us as a group of people who are in awe of the creator of this world, who are in awe of the sovereign God, who is sovereign over the good kings and queens and the bad kings and queens, who's sovereign over times of, of wealth and times of sorrow and wanting, who is good in all of those things as well. May the world see a humble group of people who have been transformed in and through the person work of Christ such that they know, they know that we love them first. And that we understand we have a hope that is coming. We are part of a kingdom that this world cannot vanquish and that it cannot rival. May we be the humble people who evidence the ongoing power and work of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who evidences that humility in and through the fruit of the Spirit, which is most displayed in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us enough to call to our attention this great necessity, this insight, this, this truth of who we ought be as your people, humble, and willing to receive correction and reproof where, from wherever it may come as it lines up with your word and from wherever it may come to help shape us further into the image of Christ and teach us about you. Help us, Father, see 
where we are arrogant and we don't listen and, and help us to see the why. Help us dig into some of the things that are keeping us from the riches and bounty that is offered to us in every given day where you long for us to yet again taste and see that you are good. Help us to display your glory in such a way that it helps the family get bigger. In Christ's name, amen.